0: with us today. And so if you have a Bible, let's go back to the book of Jude. Uh, We've been in a series, I think this is the sixth out of seven weeks now called The Faith That Stands and and The Fake uh, That that Falls. And so we're going to talk about uh, today, kind of as we go through verses 17 through 23, Jude's kind of switching gears just a, a little bit here. He's been talking a lot about the faith, and he's been talking about false teachers, and now we're a little bit going more in, in the direction of how we personally grow and, and how we're built up in uh, our faith, and, and so uh, that, that's what we're going to look at this morning. So just to review a little bit, uh, like I said, Jude's focusing on uh, a lot on false teachers here, what they're like. In verse 3, he said to earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then we spent a couple of messages looking at, in verses um, 4 through 16 at some of the characteristics of these false teachers. And, and I shared um, kind of something that Tim Challies uh, shared in an article, kind of an overview of the different kind of categories uh, of false teachers. He lists seven, just to review there. So there's, Heretics, you know, people that just teach against Scripture or in addition to Scripture, take away from Scripture. There's charlatans, people that are in it, you know, for the money, uh, you know, using that uh, they're teaching their ministry as a way, you know, to 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 fleece people basically. You know, there's abusers, people who mistreat, people who sexually uh, take advantage of, uh, you know, people within their ministry. Uh, there's prophets and speculators, kind of adding to Scripture, kind of coming up with their own things. There's what he calls the tickler, you know, ear ticklers, just (coughs) saying what people want to hear, leaving out parts of it to gain a following. And then there's people who are divisive. And so, uh, you know, as we looked at these different false teachers, he's warning us uh, against them. But a, a phrase I use a lot when I preach, maybe I overuse it, but I'm going to use it again, is you can fall in the ditch on either side of the road. And that's something we need to keep in mind as we look at this passage. He's telling us in the book of Jude, don't fall in the ditch of being led astray by false teaching. But also, he's warning, warning us against falling in the ditch on the other side of the road of the fact that we can get so caught up in contending for the faith that we neglect the growth and the development of our own faith. And that's really what he's getting at in this passage today. Uh, Pardon me if I have to drink a little bit of water, but I still have a little bit of congestion from having COVID, and it's also getting to be ragweed time in East Tennessee. Uh, Welcome if you've just moved here. It's, uh, you know, fall in East Tennessee is like, you know, it's like the beauty of creation and the depravity of the fall uh, (laughs) all rolled into one, so... um, but, um, so, you know, don't fall into the ditch on either side of the road. You know, don't get sucked into false teaching, but don't, don't get so t- sucked into defending against it that you, that you neglect your own spiritual growth. And, and to be honest, that's easy to do. Uh, I think an honest pastor will tell you, I would say this, that sometimes you can get so caught up in ministering to other people that the, it's easy sometimes to neglect your own spiritual growth and development. He's warning us against this. Maybe an extreme example of this would be, uh, there, there's a ministry, it used to be called Pulpit and Pen, Now it's called Protestia. It's basically kind of like a discernment blog kind of thing. And I don't know if it was ever completely legit. I've not really followed it a whole lot. It seemed to me to be divisive and falsely accusing people and that kind of thing. But the guy who started and ran it was a pastor in Montana. His name was J.D. Hall. And let's give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, say he was on the up and up and, you know, he's trying to defend the body of Christ against false teaching. Well, this summer, by his church that he pastored, He's been disqualified from ministry and actually disfellowship from the church. They practiced church discipline against him because he lost a libel suit. He found out he was addicted to like some prescription medication, and he was abusing his wife and his children. Now, this guy was, you know, he's on the internet writing all this kind of stuff, you know, uh, doing podcasts that kind of thing against false teachers. But it turns out, you know, he's so caught up in that that he's neglected his own spiritual life. And he's become an abuser. And that again, that's what Jude is warning us against. Be careful. Be discerning. Contend for the faith. But don't get so caught up in that that we neglect our own spiritual growth and we end up in the ditch led astray. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we grow spiritually in the midst of all this false teaching? Well, As we walk through uh, Jude verses 17 through 23 this morning, I want you to see that he gives us three commands here. And and, and so as we follow these commands, as we obey the Lord's instructions here, we can grow in the midst of this kind of false teaching. So the, the first instruction he gives us in verses 17 through 19 is to reject false teachers by embracing the apostles' teaching. Reject false teachers by embracing the the apostles' teaching. In other words, get grounded in what's true so you're not led astray by what's false. Now, the question is, how do we do that? And if you're new to Christianity, you may say, well, what's an apostle? What's the apostles' teaching? Why does this matter? Uh, (coughs) Excuse me, that kind of thing. I'll try to explain that to you. But let's look and see what the verses say here starting verse 17. He says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. We looked at an example of that in Acts chapter 20 earlier in the series. He says these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. So, in warning against false teachers uh, here, he called them mockers. He he, he said, uh, you know, they they don't know the truth. He, he said they walk according to their own ungodly lust. They're caught up in sin. Uh, he says they cause divisions. They're divisive people. He says they're devoid of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're not really even saved. And so uh, th- these are some characteristics of false teachers that he gives here. But again, what's what's he talking about when he talks about <clears throat> the apostles' teaching. Well, the apostles, you know, there, there were, Jesus had 12 that were kind of like his inner circle. Of course, Judas fell and, and, and committed suicide. They replaced him with Matthias. These were the apostles, you know, people like Paul and James were added to them. But they, they were basically people who accompanied Jesus in his earthly ministry. And, and then they uh, saw Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus said they were like the foundation of the church. They were the ones that he had chosen to be kind of like the pastors, the spiritual leaders of the early church, through which he was going to impart his truth that was going to be foundational for the church throughout the ages. Now, you say, are there apostles today? Well, people call themselves apostles, but since nobody has seen Jesus resurrected from the dead today today, that's a self-appointed thing, like you ever saw the Robert Duvall movie, The Apostle. That, that's like a man-made thing. It's not a God thing. And, and so, no, they're not apostles today. But the reality is, we don't need apostles today because we still have the apostles' teaching. You say, what is the apostles' teaching? We've never pulled, uh, like, that document out uh, at, at True Life. We don't read the apostles' creed or something like that. Yeah, we do. Anytime we read the New Testament... We're reading the apostles' teaching. Okay, let me show you what I mean. So I'm, I'm going to spend three or four minutes and just review a message that I taught earlier this year uh, when we were doing the You Asked For It series. So if you've got a Bible, go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter and Jude are almost like companion books. They, they say a lot of the same uh, kind of stuff. And so in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 21, We see the point and the importance of the apostles' teaching. First of all, we see in verses 12 through 15 that the apostles' teaching is the truth of God for all generations recorded in the New Testament. Here's what Peter claims. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure you all, that, that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. What's the point of the New Testament? Peter says, I'm about to die. But before I die, I'm going to write down what Jesus taught us, and this is what the other apostles did. So you're always going to have a reminder of these truths. And so when we read the New Testament, it's like Peter or Paul or John or whoever was here today speaking to us. That's the point of the New Testament. When we say we're a New Testament church, when we say we're a a, a biblical church, the point is to read, study, understand correctly, and then put into practice what the New Testament actually teaches. That's what it means to be a biblical church. He he also says here in verses 16 through 18 that the apostles' teaching is the eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ. The apostles' teaching is the eyewitness testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, "...for we do not follow cunningly devised fables." When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. Quote, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So in other words. What we believe about Jesus, that he's the son of God who came from heaven to earth, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect and a sinless life, you know, went around doing good, doing miracles, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. Someday he's coming back. We believe that because the apostles were with him. They saw these things happen. They saw him risen from the dead. It's eyewitness testimony. It's not something that we're making up. It's, it's who they saw and experienced him to be and wrote it down for us. That's why we don't get to change the faith. It's the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. And I would say to you, if you're a Christian, consider Jesus for who the apostles said he was, for who he he's claimed to be in scripture because the reality is that's either who he was or who he wasn't and we you can accept him or reject him but we don't really have the freedom to change it that's the idea but then peter also says here in verses 19 through 21 that the apostle's teaching recorded in the new testament is inspired The claim is is that God's Spirit led them in what they were writing so that it is the truth of God. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it, 2 Timothy 3, uh, starting in verse 13. This is the book of Jude in a sentence. He says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the closer we get to the return of Christ, more and more we're going to have to be on guard. More and more, this is going to happen. But here's Paul's instruction. He says, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He's saying, you know, I've passed it down to you just like it was passed down to me. He says, "Uh, but not just me. All the way in your childhood, your mother and your grandmother, from the childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, let me stop and say something about that. Now, uh, early in the series, I, I talked about you know, some of my struggles with my faith, some of the things that I experienced while I was in college, you know, some of the false teaching that I experienced there. But once you know, I got more settled in my faith, I, I, I tried to you know, contend for the faith, to, to speak up for the truth uh, like it says here in the book of Jude. But w- one of the things that I did that, that I was called... Uh, was a bibliolater, meaning that you worship the Bible instead of Jesus. And, and, and so, when, when you look at that verse, if you, if you would put it back uh, up there, when you, when you look at that verse, okay, it says, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures. It doesn't say the Scriptures are able to save you, but it says they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I've never bowed down and worshipped the Bible, right? I mean, I worship Jesus Christ, but here's the thing. I mean, I know there's references to Jesus in history outside the Bible, but primarily we know of Jesus, we know of salvation, we know of the faith through the Bible, But it says that the Bible, Scripture, makes you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus because the Bible. The Bible is not my Savior. Uh, Jesus is my Savior. But the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if I don't have the Bible, I'm not going to know about Jesus. I can't trust in Jesus, so I can't be saved. Or if the Bible is not true, then I'm trusting in the wrong Savior. Does that make sense? So here's the thing I never got. Uh, you know, basically people were saying, when they call me a bibliolater in this context, they were saying, well, you know, you know, you can trust Jesus, but, you know, the Bible's got errors and mistakes in it, and you've got to figure out what's right and wrong, so, you know, you shouldn't go around talking about the Bible being inerrant and, and that kind of thing. And, and maybe it's just the way I'm wired, because I tend to be a little all or nothing, and, you know, I talk a lot about getting off the fence and go one way or the other, but honestly, that just never made any sense to me. So that, that would be like, uh, let, let me use Roger Griffith for an example. Roger's uh, one of our elders. He's the wise elder. Uh, we call ourselves sometimes Yoda and the Three Stooges, and, and, and Roger's Yoda. So if, if, if I said to you, you know, Roger's like Yoda. He's so wise. He's so smart. Uh, you know, I, 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 I trust him. But a lot of what he says is wrong. Would that make a lot of sense to you? Would you think, you're confused, dude. Like That's just kind of dumb. I mean, that just doesn't add up. Well, to me, that's the equivalent of somebody saying, oh, I completely trust Jesus, but the book that tells you about Jesus, you can't trust. It just doesn't add up. They go together. The written word reveals the living word. Yes, the living word is our Savior. He's the one we worship, but why have confidence in him if this isn't true? And he, Paul goes on here to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the point. You want to know how to live the Christian life? You want to stay out of the ditch on either side of the road? You want to grow spiritually? You want to not be led astray by false teaching? It comes from being in this book. You can't be spiritually strong without a steady diet of Scripture no more than you can be physically strong without a steady, healthy diet of food. Uh, I mean, I, I've used this analogy a lot, but I, I think it's, it just, it's true. Like, if, if all you did, like on Sunday, was you gorged yourself, you had a couple of uh, huge meals, didn't eat again the other six days of the week, physically you're going to be sick or healthy. Sick. And I think the same thing is true spiritually. That, you know, when you, when you come to church, when you listen to somebody preach, I mean, you can be like real spiritual and even go to small group too. I have like two Bible studies. But if that's all you're getting, you're not in God's word the other six days of the week on your own, you think you're going to be spiritually strong? You're going to be spiritually sick. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth uh, of of God. You know, I became a Christian when I was nine years old. It's like when you're nine, sometimes, you know, it's hard to see real massive changes like a lot of times you see when people get saved as an adult. You know, I wasn't like I was an axe murderer at nine, you know. My, my mom may have felt that way sometimes, but I mean, I, I wasn't. But my life really started to change when I was a teenager. I started reading a chapter a day of the Bible, and I've grown from there. You want your life to change, you want to grow, you want to be spiritually strong. Just start reading uh, a chapter. You want to start easy? Read a chapter a day in the Gospel of John, a chapter a day in Proverbs, and, and, and see what God will do in your life. This book, listen, it, it, it's, we don't worship it, it's not God, but it is the Word of God. In Hebrews it says it's living, and it's active, and it's sharp, and it's powerful. There is life-changing power in the Word of God. You want to be strong spiritually, you can't do it apart from this Word. There, there, there are no shortcuts. Second, though. The second command, verses 20 and 21, he tells us to remain in the love of God, to remain in the love of God. Now, we're going to do a little work on on these two verses because, first of all, I I may, just by making that point, remain in the love of God, I I hope, I think I may have raised some questions if you're actually tracking with me because, you know, when I read this, I'm, I'm like, remain in the love of God. How do I remain in love? Why do I need to remain in the love of God? Doesn't God always love me? Right? Don't we talk about God's love being permanent and unconditional and those kind of things? Which, which it is because, you know, the only way God can love us is unconditionally because there are no conditions under which we actually deserve His love. It's grace. So, what's this remain in the love of God? But even as we read this, you may be thinking, like, why do you say this is the command? Uh, let's, let's just read it. So he says, "But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life." Now, I, I want to ask you a question here, and I'm, I'm looking for an answer. And the answer may not be obvious. It, it wasn't to me, uh, so. In those two verses, I mean, just look at it and, you know, on your phone, if you've got a uh, you know, paper, leather Bible with you, whatever, just look at it for a second, read it for yourself, and answer this question. In those two verses, how many commands are there? How many commands are there in those two verses? Now, I know this involves math, but some of you can pull it off. Okay, I got four, I got five. Anybody else? Here three, here four. All right, I got to tell you, somebody got it right in the first service. It's actually Chris Roy. He's one of our bass players, which, you know, go musicians, right? But um, it looks like there's four, but there's actually one. Okay, now I'm going to be technical for just a second. I try to do that a lot when I'm preaching, but usually when I do it, it's because you have to be to actually accurately understand what it's saying here. There's actually one command, and then there's three participles that modify the command, which basically means it tells you how to do the command. Um, kind of an analogy, I've taught you this before, but if you think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, you know, go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Uh, And what I've taught you is, the the, the command, the verbal imperative there is to make disciples of all nations. Go, baptizing, and teaching are uh, participles that tell you how to do the command. It's the same thing here. Uh, When when you study it grammatically. So the actual command here, uh, the, the, the verb, the imperative, is in this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then the participles are building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to uh, eternal life. So what he's saying is, what he's telling us to do is to remain in the love of God, and the way you do this is by building yourselves up on your most holy faith, uh, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and essentially looking for the return of Jesus Christ. But that goes back, that I think that raises another question. It's like, why would I need to remain in the love of God if God is love and God unconditionally permanently loves me well this is what he's talking about he's not talking about whether or not God loves us he's talking about are we living in the sphere sphere of God's love he's talking about our experience of the love of God and and here's an example of what I'm talking about Jesus said in John 15 9 and 10 he says as the father loved me I also have loved you He says, abide in my love, abide and remain, you know, really mean the same thing. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In other words, what he's saying is, if if we are living in in, in disobedience, then we're not abiding in, we're not experiencing the love of God in the way that He's really designed us to. Now, think about it, That, that rings true in your experience. I mean, if we're not really walking with the Lord, if, if we're disobeying Him, you know, if there's unconfessed sin in our lives or if there's something we know that He's telling us to do and we're not doing that, do we really feel the love of God the way we do at other times? What we feel is guilt and conviction and maybe shame. This is what He's getting at here. If we're really going to you know, abide in, remain in, be built up by the love of God, that love is always there, but how we experience it is somewhat conditioned upon how we're living and how we're relating to the Lord. Does that make sense? So, um, I mean, maybe here's an analogy. So, think about marriage. Like, so two people are married, maybe they've been married for a really long time, they have a relationship you know, in the eyes of the state, they have a relationship in the, in the eyes of God. They love each other. There's a commitment there. That's like settled. But our experience of love with each other can change, right? I mean, think about it. If, 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 if you have a couple and, and two people um, are at odds with one another, maybe they don't feel a lot of love. Maybe if if, if one of the spouses has wronged the other in some way and hasn't made it right, maybe you're not feeling love. The relationship's still there. Maybe you've been too busy and haven't spent time with each other and haven't been communicating with each other and you've been distracted by other things. The relationship is there. The love is there. But maybe the experience of the love isn't really there the way it should be at that given moment. And I think that's an analogy of our relationship with God. If we're not spending time with God, if we're not communicating with God, it doesn't change His love for us, but it may change how we're experiencing that love. If we've wronged Him and not confessed that, uh, instead of you know feeling His love, we may be feeling the conviction of of the Holy Spirit. If we're walking away from Him, if we're doing our own thing, He loves us, but He loves us enough to discipline us, so maybe what we're we're experiencing is love through discipline, not some ooey-gooey feeling of the greatness of, of God's love at that particular moment. That's what he's getting at here. So, but I would encourage you with this. If, if you don't feel like God loves you, or maybe you don't feel it as strongly as you do sometimes, I want to encourage you on the authority of Scripture that his love hasn't changed. But that maybe what we need to do, and you know, I get in this boat sometimes. I think we all do. Maybe we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question of what's hindering me from experiencing God's love and the fullness that He has for me. Is it sin? Is it is it a lie that I'm believing? You know, Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. It's a prayer. He says, For this reason I, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, from, the, uh, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He, he's praying for the people of the church in Ephesus. And it, here's what he prays. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints... What is the width and length and depth and height? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love is there, but is our comprehension, is our personal experiential knowledge of it there? And what do we do for it to be there? Well, that's these three participles. He says to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Now there's a couple of things I want to say about that. Faith in the context of Jude is the faith rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the, the basic biblical doctrines that we've talked about through this series that I don't want to take the time to go through again right now. But, but I want you to notice something there. He says, on your most holy faith. And the word your is key. See, we can know about the faith in our head, but at some point it has to become my personal faith of I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. Is that you? Teenagers. M- many of you, most of you, your parents have taught you the faith. Your uh, teachers here at True Life have taught you uh, the faith. But has it become your faith? Are you trusting in Christ personally? Have you committed yourself to him? Are you following him? You see, uh, the Bible says that Jesus is the only foundation that we can build on. He's the cornerstone. But he says here we're to build ourselves up on that most holy faith that Jesus and his person and work is the cornerstone of. So what does that look like? To me, kind of how this ties together and ties to the love of God. Is, is we need to uh, preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You see, the gospel is not just for our salvation, it's for our sanctification. I like the way J.D. Greer puts it. He says, a lot of times we treat the gospel as like the, the, the diving board into the pool of the Christian life. The gospel is not the diving board, the gospel is the whole pool. It, it's, it's everything. It's everything. The gospel saves us, the gospel sanctifies us, the gospel secures us, the gospel is what will take us to heaven. It's being rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ, knowing what he has done for us, knowing that we're loved and accepted. It's knowing that through the cross, even though I didn't deserve it, that God has made me his own and that God has forgiven me and God has made me whole. That's where we have the security of living in the love of God. And listen, we forget that so easily, right? We let life beat us up. Uh, We we struggle with sin and different things in our lives, and, and, and we start condemning ourselves, and we think, You know, how could God ever love me? That's when we go to Scripture and we remind ourselves there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We remind ourselves that God demonstrated His own love toward us and while we were sinners that Christ died for us. God didn't die for me because I deserved it or because I'm so good. Jesus died for me because I'm a sinner as a demonstration of His grace so that He would be worshipped and glorified forever. That's the gospel and the more... I remind myself of that, the more I'm going to feel and experience God's love, and the more secure I'm going to be in Him. And listen, how humbly secure we are is a good indicator of how much we're experiencing the love of God, because if we're humble and secure at the same time, it's because it's rooted in the love and the grace of God given to us through the cross. Preach the gospel to ourselves, that's how we build ourselves up. But then he says, pray in the Holy Spirit that's the end of, of verse 20 that's the phrase praying in the Holy Spirit you know what's that talking about some people take that and say well well, that means you know you speak in tongues and that kind of thing and, and I believe personally and I know people have different convictions It's a secondary issue that there is a gift of speaking in tongues today but I think it's the ability to speak a language you've never learned it's not a prayer not a private prayer language it, it's like a gift for the mission field um you know, in Ephesians 6, 18 he says, Paul says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It it means uh, you know, with the direction, the empowerment, being led uh, by the Holy Spirit as we pray. Romans 8, 26, 27 says, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and some people you know take that as a proof text for a private prayer language but read it closely it's not talking about us praying it's talking about the Holy Spirit praying interceding going to God on our behalf have you ever you know felt like you needed to pray because of whatever's going on in your life and you have no words even to express your heart that's when the Holy Spirit takes over and prays for us what a wonderful truth and so he's saying, pray in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. But ultimately what he's saying here, we've got to build ourselves up. We've got to pray. We build ourselves up through the gospel, through the Word of God. Listen, if we want to grow spiritually, it's like any other relationship. We've got to have communication. God communicates with us through his Word. We communicate to him through prayer. God speaks to us through his Word. We speak back to him uh, through prayer. There's no shortcuts. This is how we grow spiritually. He also talks about here looking for the return of Jesus. You know, focusing on eternity and not just uh, the here and now. I'm just kind of just going to touch on that. I want to move on to the to the last command to finish up. And, and so, you know, we, we've talked about you know there's this warning against false teachers and false teaching. Then he's kind of taking it a, a little more internal of you grow spiritually. But now he's going to go external again as far as now how we focus on other people. And what he wants us to see, I think, ultimately in verses 22 and 23, is spiritual growth is not just inward. Real spiritual growth is going to work its way outward in ministry to other people. Look at what he says. He says, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating the garment, hating even the garment, defiled by the flesh. So what he's telling us to do here is to restore those led astray by false teachers. Again, it's not just inward, it's outward. Now, you know, when you look at this, I mean, depending on what version you're using, it may read a little differently than mine. And, you know, there's Bible commentators have spilled a lot of ink on these two uh, verses, like exactly what's the translation, what's the point. And I don't want to get into all those debates. I, I think the big picture is really clear, even if some of the, the details are debatable. The big picture is he's saying, restore those led astray by false teachers. And he, but he gives at least a couple of different categories of people who have been led astray. In verse 22, where he says, On some have compassion, making a distinction. He's saying, restore those who are doubting with mercy. Restore those who are doubting with mercy. In other words, if somebody has doubts, somebody has questions, we all have that. Don't judge them, don't condemn them, don't criticize them, don't make fun of them uh, you know, for having questions. You know, Listen, churches where there's not room for questions, there's a problem. That's a little, almost a little cult-like to me. Church ought to be the place you come to get your questions answered, right? You ought to be able to ask anything, and somebody take you to the Word of God. And so that's what he's saying here. If you've got questions, ask them. Uh, You know, and for people who have questions, we ought to answer them. For those of us who are a little farther along in the faith, part of our job is to answer the questions of the people who aren't quite as far along. For those of us who are a little bit older, find somebody younger, Help them with their questions. Restore those who are doubting with mercy. But then he says, restore those who have been defiled with fear. Verse 23, Again, there's a distinction here. He says, others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And so I, I think these are, this is referring to people who have actually been led astray by the false teachers. Saying, got to be careful. You, you, you're dealing with fire but you just can't let them go. You know, ultimately, these people may be lost. You know, the big picture here, again, is this. I mean, if you're growing spiritually, if you're praying, you're in the Word, you're those kind of things, that is not an end in and of itself just for you. You know, I use this analogy of eating. And to me, think of it this way. Think of it as like a pregnant lady It's not just eating for herself, Right? There's some pregnant ladies in the room, and you're probably like, I'm wanting you to finish up so I can get on to lunch right now. Because you're not just eating for yourself, you're eating for somebody else, right? Because you're trying to grow them and develop them, and you're trying, you know, you want that baby to be strong and healthy and everything. The idea here is, We're not just eating for ourselves spiritually. We need to do that so that we're strong and so that we're not led astray. But we're eating for other people as well so we're strong enough to teach them, disciple them, share the gospel with them, build them up. Because if you're saved, you have spiritual gifts, and you're called to use those gifts to share the gospel with the lost and to edify the body of Christ. And if you're not doing that, I don't care how much you're in the Bible and how much you pray and all these other kind of things, you're not really Fully walking with the Lord, doing what God has called you to do because it's take in, give out. Take in, give out. Take in, give out. This is the model of New Testament ministry, of New Testament Christianity, that we're to be disciples who walk with Christ in his word. You shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free. But then we're to be disciples who make other disciples because Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, which means if we're not fishing, we're not following if we're not fishing we're not following jesus uh, Jesus said uh, you know he talked about leaving the 99 to go find the one lost sheep Uh, paul said in galatians 6 1 brethren if any of you are overtaken in any see if any of you who are spiritual if you see someone overtaken in any trespass you are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness considering yourself lest you also be tempted that's the big picture i think of what jude is saying here so I just ask you, we've talked about this a lot, who's your one? Who does God want you to share the gospel with? Or maybe beyond that, who are some Christians you know that are struggling. Maybe they're going astray, being led astray, struggling in the faith. If you've got a relationship with, him, with them, maybe God would have you be bold enough to speak to them. You know, I mean, I'm sharing the gospel with people. I'm trying to you know, help people spiritually. I'm a pastor. But even as I was preparing this message a couple weeks ago, there's people that God brought to my mind that I need to be more intentional or more, I don't know, just put myself out there more to try to pull them out of the fire. Maybe there's some people like that in your life. I mean, if there's somebody that's popping into your mind right now, where's that coming from? I don't think it's the devil telling you to go pull them out of the fire. He's got them where he wants them. That's probably the Holy Spirit. And you're equipped to do it because you have the Spirit of God in you. You have the Word of God. You can go make a difference in their life. And I want to close with, uh, I mean, I'll come back afterwards to tie it up, but I'm going to show you a little video clip that I think is like a, a kind of a parable or an analogy, so to speak, for what he's saying in verses 22 and 23. You know, we consider that guy you know a hero but he was just something got dropped in his lap i mean who, who is god dropping in our lap who is in our life that spiritually they need to rescue so just to kind of tie this together this is what i would encourage you with is the faith your faith is your faith in christ in Christ alone. If you repented of your sins and trusted Him, are you following Him? If not, I encourage you to give your life to Him today. If His Spirit is working in you and you believe, when you act on that, when you confess your faith, will you commit your life to Him. If you've got questions, I encourage you to talk to somebody about that. Get that settled. If you are a Christian, are you abiding in the love of God? He's not moved, but if you move, are you doing your own thing? Is there sin in your life? You're not in his word. You're not praying. Maybe you need to repent of that today. But maybe some of you, maybe you just need to make a commitment. Maybe you need to make an appointment with God. That next time, the days of this week, I'm going to have an appointment with God. where I'm going to get with him, spend time in his word, spend time in prayer. I'm going to connect with him. Let him minister to me. Maybe some of you, there's some names you need to write down. There's some names, there's some faces that have popped into your head in the last five or ten minutes while we've been on this last uh, point. And it's people that God would wants to use you in their life in some way, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's a Christian that, that needs encouragement or that needs to be challenged, that need, a sheep that's gone astray. Listen, we are all ministers of reconciliation, ministers of the gospel for in Christ. Let's live like it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.